Don't worry. That was the phrase I heard over the intercom as I sat on the airplane last weekend waiting uh, to go travel to Northern California. We were delayed because there was some mechanical problem. Don't worry, though, the pilot said. It's a routine maintenance thing. It'll be fixed quickly, and we'll have you in the air quickly, and you'll reach your destination on time. So, of course, after the pilot told me, don't worry, I began to worry. What if it's not a quick fix, I thought, and I arrive so late that I'm going to miss my very important appointment, which was a tea time on the golf course. Some old friends. That's where I was last week, and we do a golf trip almost every year, and was thankful to be able to do that. And I was worried. Maybe I would miss the first round with my friends. What if the mechanical issue can't be fixed and we have to go through that whole hassle of deplaning and getting on a new plane? And then I thought, well, what if, what if my checked baggage, which is where my clubs are, don't make it to the new plane and I can't even play even if I get there on time? What if the mechanical issue means that this plane is not safe to travel on? What if they fix the issue and we take off only to have the mechanical issue happen again at 30,000 feet and we crash? My, yeah, okay, I got some witnesses here. I'm not the only one that has a mind like this. Now, fortunately, and uh, my first what if I thought surely would come true, but it was fixed pretty quickly. Our plane made it safely, and I made my tea time on time. But not without a lot of worry along the way. Tell me not to worry, and that's exactly what I'll do. I will inevitably start asking those kinds of questions that I just gave you, those kinds of questions that have that phrase at the beginning. Did you catch? It's just two words, what that phrase is, but it has such a huge impact. What if? Ever struggle with what ifs? What if I don't get the grade? What if I am not up to the task and I fail? What if I don't get the job? What if I lose my job? What if this economy really does tank? What if I don't have enough for retirement? I have heard a few of those what ifs recently. What if my friend bails on me? What if my marriage is in trouble? What if my child gets hurt? What if I get cancer? What if this war in Ukraine really does start something more serious? You can add whichever ones are relevant in your life. Maybe some of those were. Maybe there's many more weighing on your heart. What if is the fertile soil in which our worries flourish? It's hard not to ask them. It's hard not to worry. And yet, were we open to the Sermon on the Mount today, Jesus says this in verse 25 of chapter 6. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or drink or about your body or what you will wear is not life more than food and the body more than clothes. And then we skip down to the end of his section and he ends it much like he starts it. Verse 34, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Did you notice that Jesus did not say, therefore, worry a little less? 
or worry just on Mondays, or in those moments where you have severe suffering and it's okay, but all the other times, don't do it. No, he just says simply, don't worry, as if he's making a blanket statement for all of our circumstances and moments. It's a similar tone that Paul uses in the text that was quoted at the beginning of our worship time in Philippians 4.7 or 4.6, uh, where Paul says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, pre present your requests to God. Do not be anxious about anything. The Greek word that is used in Matthew's gospel, that is translated as worry, that Jesus says, and the word in Philippians chapter 4 that gets translated as anxious, is the exact same word in the original language. It's used in the same tense, actually, which I think helps us give us an idea of the kind of thing Jesus is talking about when he says worry. He's not talking about having appropriate concern and care for the future in a way that makes us prudent or good planners. That would be healthy. He's talking about intense feelings of anxiety and distress that paralyze us leave us hopeless. Paul says, be anxious for nothing. Jesus flat out says, don't worry. Are you starting to worry that you worry? <laughs> Does this mean that you and I as followers of God should never ever feel anxious or worried again? And if we do, we should feel guilty about it? Common sense, of course, says no, but I think even contained in the biblical language, Jesus and Paul used the Greek word in the present active tense, implying an ongoing state. I think what Jesus and Paul are getting at here is don't let anything in life leave you perpetually anxious and distressed. The presence of anxiety is always going to be there. It is unavoidable, but the prison of anxiety is optional. Anxiety is not a sin. It is an emotion, so don't be anxious for feeling anxious. But being a prisoner of anxiety can sometimes lead us to doing things that damage our lives. Just to be real with you, family, Anxiety and worry is something that I have struggled with for quite a long time. It is something that I have struggled with for most of my time as a pastor. So when I say this, it's not because I came to Cal Mesa and I started getting more stressed out or anything, okay? <laughs> Multiple churches I have served, I have struggled with this. And if I could be even more real with you today, family... The way in which I have dealt with those anxieties and worries in the past have not been very healthy. One of my go-to ways to cope with worry is to overeat. That is a struggle I have. I stress eat. I still struggle with it. One of my other go-tos is to wear my stress and anxiety almost as a badge of courage. Like, I'm stressed i got so much on my mind that I'm worried about, but it's all right. It's going to motivate me to just do more and get more done. Ever been there? Those are my go-to ways to cope, and I have learned that it is not sustainable or healthy. 
In fact, I have started doing something for the very first time this year that I should have done years ago, and that is see a counselor, something I would highly recommend. And it has been incredibly helpful to process those worries and anxieties with somebody. I have also found some pretty cool resources recently about having a different mindset to my health and eating habits. Wonderful resources. There are great resources out there for us to take advantage of. And both those things have been healthy and helpful. But above all else, I always find that the most helpful thing is when I come back to the Word of God and I see the ways in which my Creator says, this is how you can deal with the anxiety and the worry, especially those that Jesus outlines here in Matthew 6. I think he gives us at least three steps to follow. Here's the first step. He says, look at the birds. Verse 26, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? I've tried. You can't. Now, I am not much of a birder. I couldn't tell you the difference from a finch or a Phoebe. Okay, maybe nobody knows what a Phoebe is. I had to look it up, something that rhymed with or was close to finch anyway. But uh, maybe not, not many of you are birders either. I, I, I know some of you out there are. And I used to think birding was very, very boring. I had a good friend in college and invited me to go with him one time, and it just it wasn't my thing. But I got to tell you, in recent years, as I come back to this passage, I have been really excited about bird watching. In fact, I would go as far to say, and you bird watchers out there, you know, maybe you like this, that bird watching is sort of a spiritual discipline. Amen. Yeah, there's a few, yeah. So sometimes I just sit in my backyard and I watch the birds. I watch the hummingbirds, I watch the hawk, and then whatever those small birds are that stand on the fence. That's as good as I got. And I, and I watch finches. Yes, so those are the finches. Okay, at least I'm learning. And I'll watch them. And it's amazing the kind of perspective you get when you sit and watch the birds. Some perspective it gives me it is a reminder that I can find joy in my work and life, no matter what's happening, no matter how hard the work is. Ever notice how happy birds look? Maybe they aren't, but that's the way they look to me. They don't seem to be frowning or cranky or grumpy as they gather food or build their nest. They sing and whistle and soar on those really long days where it is such a grind for you at the office or at home as a parent, I want to encourage you to, to look for something that you can find joy in. Could be a word of encouragement from a coworker, a, a task you completed well, a patient you made smile, a student who you helped finally grasp that, that concept they were struggling with. It is so easy, isn't it, to focus on the negative things, and often there's so few that happen in your day, but to magnify them rather than to, to take notice of the many things in which we could take joy in each day. And then as I keep watching the birds, it gives me some more perspective. It, it reminds me to be so invested in the here and now 
in today. The birds are hard working on today's responsibilities and tasks. As Jesus said, they neither sow nor reap nor gather in barns. They aren't fretting about what could happen tomorrow. And we like, at least me, likes to fret about what could happen tomorrow. But you know, is often the case is that what we fret will happen tomorrow doesn't usually happen. In fact, I came across several studies, one in particular from uh, Penn State University where participants were asked to record their worries and how it caused distress and interfered with their lives. At the end of each day, they reported how much time they spent thinking on each specific worry throughout the day, and it was significant amounts of time. They did this for about a month or so, and then after that time, they then reviewed each entry and reported whether any of the worries had become true. The survey found that the worries caused lots of distress to the participants, but that 91% of their worries never happened. Isn't that amazing? There's a quote that's often attributed to French philosopher Michel de Montaigne. He said, my life has been full of terrible misfortunes, most of which never happened. <laughs> we like to fret about what could come. Even if something unfortunate does happen in the future, worrying about it will not change it from happening. Worrying can take, I'm sorry, worrying can make your tomorrow, it cannot make your tomorrow better, but it can certainly ruin your today. And so as I watch the birds, that's another thing I am reminded of, how they trust in their creator to provide in the present. That is where our focus should be. There's more things I learned from birding, but we've got to keep going in the sermon. Step two, Jesus says, I want you to also consider the wildflowers and grass of the field. Verse 28, and why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith. Even today, maybe some of you have traveled there, red and purple anemones crowning with these 10-inch stalks along with blue irises grow wild on the hillside along the Sea of Galilee. I have a picture. It's not on the side of the Sea of Galilee, and, and I know it's, it's kind of dim. You can see some, some of the red anemones and some of the blue irises to the right, but it would have looked something kind of like this as Jesus was preaching. And so you can imagine as he's talking to the people there, he says, look around at these beautiful flowers. Look at them around you. Not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like this. That is quite a thing for Jesus to say. Solomon was the pinnacle, the gold standard of success in the eyes of the Jewish people. In Jesus's day, that would have been quite something to hear. And then as he tells them to notice the flowers, the emphasis shifts to regard the flowers as clothing of the grass of the field. Grass that is here today, but tomorrow is thrown into the fire. That was something that was common back then. The grass 
uh, that was green in the springtime would not last very long, and it, they would cut it and dry it and bundle it, and they would use it as something to burn in their ovens. They were well aware of the short lifespan of the grass. I also have become very well aware of the short lifespan of grass. I remember when we moved into our home here in Calamesa, we had no landscaping in our backyard. And so we hired a professional to come and do all the irrigation and, and lay the sod. And, and when it was all done, it was beautiful. I, I don't know why, but everything else in the garden or the landscaping can just be in shambles. But if my lawn is green and mowed and looks good, everything is right in the world. And we had a beautiful lawn. I used to sit out on the patio and just admire it. I would make sure it was watered the right amount. I downloaded the Scott lawn, Scott's uh, lawn care app. Any of you have that? It tells you exactly when to fertilize it with what kind of fertilizer. And I followed it to the T. About every month, I would feed that lawn something else. I would mow it to the right length and in, during the cool of the day. You, you don't understand. Our lawn was beautiful. And then we got a puppy. <laughs> Suffice to say, I do not admire my lawn anymore. It has so many brown spots everywhere. It has holes dug down to the sprinkler lines. I have deleted the app off my phone. <laughs> I know what it's like to have the grass there one day, and the next, it's gone. Jesus says, if I clothe the grass that is here today and gone tomorrow like that, how much more will I clothe you? You see, God wants us to look at the flowers and the grass of the field and the birds of the air because he's trying to get us to understand how valuable we are to him. Are you not much more valuable than they as he talks about the birds? Would I not clothe you so much more beautifully than that? And just as you start to get a pretty good idea of how much you matter to your heavenly father after looking at the birds for a while and, and the grass that is here today and gone tomorrow, you flip over a few more pages in your Bible and you start to read these stories, the story of the coin that is recovered, the sheep that is found, the prodigal who's restored, and you realize it's, it's even more than I thought. And as you start to begin to process how much more valuable, you, you, you didn't even realize how valuable you were to your Heavenly Father. You, you flip over a few more pages and you, and you start to read about all that he endured going to the cross. And as you do that, you, you read words, sayings from Jesus where he says, no one takes my life, I give it freely. No greater gift has he than he who gives his life for his friend. And you are my friends. And you realize it's even greater than I thought. And then you keep turning pages and you keep finding more and more examples of how much you matter to God. And then you get to the very end and you read about how he's going to make everything new and that he wants you to dwell there with him forever and wipe every tear and there'll be no more pain or death or crying or mourning. And you realize it's more than I could have ever imagined. Family, God values you eternally. And when you remember that, it is hard to worry. You are eternally 
valuable to God. Look at the birds, look at the grass, and you'll start to get a taste of that. Well, then there's one final step. It's the ultimate step that Jesus gives us to take against worry. Verse 31. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all those things. And your heavenly Father knows what you need, knows that you need them. Verse 33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. The third step to lower our anxiety is to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. I'm not sure if that last step would have landed too well for those who were listening to Jesus preach. Remember, those who are there are some of the poorest people that have gathered. I read over these words from Jesus many times this week, often with coffee and a snack. (laughs) I must have been stressing about the sermon, and so I was overeating because I was worried. But the point is, I read and meditated over these words all week, and I never once worried about where my next meal would come from. I didn't worry about what I was going to wear that day or the next day. But that was absolutely a reality for those that were listening to what Jesus was preaching. They had to daily find enough supplies just to survive. So the questions of what would we eat tomorrow, be able to wear, was very real to them. And Jesus says, I want you to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That is your top priority. That is your primary concern, to pursue my rule in your life, the kingdom of God, and to accept, I would say, my grace, my righteousness. It's not about your righteousness. Yours can't save you. That above everything else. I wonder how that would have landed for those that were listening to Jesus. I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I can make that first. There's too many other important things that that I'm worried about that I've got to make sure I'm taking care of. Maybe for some, those are some real worries today of where to find food or clothing, but maybe for most of us, we have different obstacles that we're holding on to that are keeping us from seeking his kingdom first. And do you notice how both seeking God's kingdom And his righteousness involves surrendering control. I don't rule, you do. I don't save myself, you save me. Research shows one of the big reasons why we worry is because we are trying to control a situation or to control something that could happen. But the truth is there isn't really much we can control. And we will find a lot more peace when our top priority is to give control to God, to stop trying to outwork his grace and just let him be the ruler of our life. You see, heaven's throne is already occupied, and our job is to let it reign in our lives. In the 8th century B.C., the kingdom of Judah enjoyed a time of relative peace thanks to the steady leadership of Uzziah, the king. 
Isaiah was par, far from perfect. He, he kept the enemies at bay, though, for the, Isra- or for, for, uh, the kingdom of Judah. Uh, though antagonists threatened from, from all sides, the presence of Isaiah kept that fragile society safe from attack for 52 years. And then Isaiah died. The prophet Isaiah, who lived during the reign of the king, was left with ample reason for worry after that happened, to ask endless what-if questions and to be fearful of the future. But listen to what happens in chapter 6 of the book of Isaiah. Verse 1, In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it, stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Isaiah's throne was empty, but God's was occupied. Isaiah's reign had ended, but God's had not Isaiah's voice was silent, but as you keep reading, God's was strong and clear. And as you keep reading, you see how Isaiah feels so unclean and unworthy to be there, but God's grace was sufficient enough for him. If Isaiah had any worries about what would happen after King Isaiah died, I'm sure God removed them in that moment, not because he removed the circumstances, but because he revealed his sovereign power and grace. If that is what we seek first, it is going to be awfully hard to stay worried. So family, I want to appeal to you today. Look at the birds. Look at the flowers and the grass of the field. And most of all, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. These are not the only steps scripture gives for overcoming worry but they are some of the most important ones. Put them into practice and you'll start to notice something. You'll you'll start to notice that that particular phrase, you you know, the one that that begins our anxious thoughts and questions, the one that began uh, all of my thoughts as I sat on the plane this past weekend, the what-if phrase. You will notice that your what-if phrase begins to change into something else even if. Even if this happens, Lord, I've got steps to find joy right here in the midst of it. Even if that doesn't happen, I know that my value is found. I know what my value is in you. Even if this world throws me the nastiest curveball in history, I know that you are still on the throne. I have sought your rule, which lasts forever, and your grace which is sufficient. So even if all that happens, I'm not going to worry. Lord, if we just took the words of of that song to heart, what would our days look like? I think there would be a lot less worry, a lot less fear. Thank you, Lord for the ways in which you help us deal with these real challenges of anxiety and worry. 
And may we leave this place above everything else, seeking first your kingdom and your righteousness. In Jesus' name, amen.